0: Whether you're an aspiring music business professional or a seasoned vet, every Thursday, the Music Business Podcast brings you the trends and tactics from some of the world's most innovative minds in music. I'm artist manager and consultant, Jordan Williams. And I'm Sam Heisel, co-founder of the music marketing and content production agency, Knox. We're not
1: teachers. We're entertainment industry professionals, drinkers, wannabe comedians, and most importantly, fans.
0: Welcome to the show.
1: Yo, what's up, Sam? What's happening, Jordan? I'm good, man. Excited to introduce this guest today on the Music Business Podcast. Today, we got Will Zomback. For those of you who don't know, he's a music entrepreneur, manager, and Grammy-nominated producer, uh, best known for managing Wiz Khalifa and starting, uh, you know, Khalifa Kush with Wiz Khalifa, Taylor Gang Entertainment, um, the record label, and the management company. Um, so today Also we-
0: also manages Ty Dallastine, TM88, Juicy J, list goes on. Ben joke
1: right. right, right, um, so today we kind of get into his origin story, how him and Wiz met, but um Wills had a lot of experience in several different areas of the industry, um whether that be you know from having his own record label to having his own management company and being a manager himself to working with other record labels on Wiz. and he's been there from the beginning, so um we've been able to we were able to talk to him kind about that. Um, Some things, some reasons why there's been such longevity for him and for Wiz and for the Taylor Gang movement. We get into the Taylor Gang brand. Um, A lot of things I think you guys can learn from today. What would you think, Sam?
0: Yeah, I thought it was incredible. I mean, he's definitely a manager at the top of his class. I think, I mean, Wiz is an artist who's been putting out records for a minute. I mean, mid-2000s. It was kind of when I came across him. I remember listening to his music when I was in high school, driving around. Talk about that a little more in the podcast. But even today, Will is still, uh, Wiz is just as relevant largely because of what the the partnership and success he's been able to have with Will. So I think really enjoyed hearing him talk about his approach as to how he focuses on developing acts to to build sustainable, long lasting careers, some of the different tactics to go about building an audience, finding artists, creating that longevity. I think it's a great episode. Uh, Another interesting thing, too, is I think you look at somebody like Wiz. Wiz has done such a good job at building brands beyond his music. Khalifa Kush, uh, different apps. I think being able to think about different ways to build brands around your artistry, it's another topic we dive into. So I think this episode is filled with gems. Super grateful to have Will on. Um, Another virtual recording. Quarantine tanks. But (laughs) uh, definitely one of our favorite episodes to date. So without any further ado, Mr. Will Zombeck.
1: Let's do it. Sweet, will man. What's up? How you doing?
2: I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me. Of Super course, man, excited to have you This is sweet. Different times, different type of interview. <laughs> but it seems right. like the new norm, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. For sure. Great so time I guess to be to a get...
0: uh, shareholder in Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. The
1: the question is, when do you sell?
0: but right. uh, you know people yeah.
1: people have figured that out when when people start going back to uh, to work and things but um but I guess just to start like what how has your workflow changed? I know the music industry just in general is is very much in person so so how does your workflow changed uh since the quarantine started
2: i mean uh for us you know just just we definitely had to cancel a bunch of shows and a lot of our live, you know, in-person experiences, they were all canceled, but it's part of just adjusting. We're not the only people affected. So, you know, for us, it's, it's, it is a lot of zoom. It's a lot of phone calls and it's just staying on top of the Google docs and and figuring out, you know, what are the priorities on our to-do list now and, and where do we need to go next? What, when it comes to, yeah, when it comes
0: to like specific, uh, things you've been pressing into a little bit harder uh i know a lot of the artists we're working with it's like a live like weekly live streams like what uh what have been some of the opportunities or or changes you've been positively pressing into as a result of some of these market changes
2: um for us it's really just uh dropping more music you know we spent a lot of the the fall and winter just recording music And while a lot of people are doing lives and and different things, we've done some of them, but that hasn't been my heavy focus. It's more just been like, let's get music out there. Let's keep it rolling. Mm -hmm. We have so many songs and how do we drop these projects and, and make them feel fun and special, especially now when everyone seems to be dropping music. So having dope art, interactive experiences, and just trying to connect with fans more than just a... <clears throat> IG live concert because I feel like Sway killed that kinged it, and no one's done it better <laughs> since he did it you know and that, that was really the first one so you know I think he, he definitely took the crown on that one
0: mm-hmm.
1: right right yeah everybody's had to be a lot more creative in how they connect with their fans it's been super interesting to see um especially just as somebody in who's observing you know how industries are doing that and how and how the music industry in particular is doing that Um, I want to get a little bit farther back into like your origin story. Um, So you said a little bit before this call that you were that you were a musician and that's kind of how you got started. Um, One, what was the what was the what was the music like? What was that experience like? And and two, what made you shift towards the business aspect of things a little more?
2: So, yeah. And I'm from Pittsburgh. So in high school. I was in a band that had like a similar sound to like a Dave Matthews type like we had an acoustic guitar person, we had a saxophone. It was a little different but we got to tour around regionally um you know uh, Ohio, Michigan, West Virginia, Virginia, New York area, not world worldwide but just playing shows and it was a great time with my friends. I played drums, so it was a it was a whole learning experience and it really got me into the business side of music to be able to be like, Oh, we just made, you know, 200 bucks for just playing a show that time. That was like $200,000, you know, (laughs) this is great. And, and then when I, uh, I went to Penn state and when I went to Penn state, uh, for a very short brief moment, I thought, Oh, maybe I want to be a promoter until I really realized, fuck no. But, uh, in that time, um, I had booked uh, a friend of mine who I'd met right after high school, Wiz, and he. it was a small frat show. And at the time, we didn't have that much money. So we were like, you can just stay at my apartment. And they were supposed to – him and his friends were supposed to stay for, for one day and ended up staying for five. And we got really close after that and just – slowly been building. So, so what
0: happened in those five days?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of Madden. Yeah, a yeah.
0: lot. A lot of weed. Yeah. Like,
2: uh, my apartment was on the fifth floor and the janitor in the building was super cool and he came up one morning at like 10 a.m. And was like, hey, just so you know, I knew you guys were awake on the first floor. <laughs> no. So it was cool but i i think uh at that time for for wiz and his homies it was a really good experience because they'd never been and lived college life if you will mm. I'll just, there was again so much madden played chevy was picking <laughs> up crushing everyone and then every night we'd go to frat parties and just walk around and everyone be like i can't believe there's there's really no rules up here. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 That was one thing I had to explain. Like there, there, there's some, but it's, it's way <laughs> different when a town of 50,000 people has 45,000 kids, you know? Yeah, yeah for right. sure. So, so that was really fun. It was a good time.
0: And then uh, how did that kind of relationship evolve from having met at that time into kind of the business empire that you guys largely built together? So, um,
2: at f- At first, I became whizzes. I just helped book shows. And then as we kept getting more and more shows, uh, I became the booking agent and assistant. And then we went and got a real booking agent. And at that time, I became his road manager slash assistant. And I did that for a few years, then became co-manager, and then eventually um, just became manager. And, And in 2014 just kind of took the reins uh we you know we parted ways with the production company we were at at that time and you know just took on took on you know whatever was next and at that time uh instead of uh just taking it on totally by myself i went and got a a partner and a mentor and constant schwartz and and michael strahan and they've really helped me build the business and be behind me uh, you know all the way since, since then.
1: Right. Mentors are sort of the reason why we started this, started this podcast is because, you know, I know Sam and myself had a lot of mentors, you know, coming up in the industry ourselves and a lot of people that did a lot of things for free, you know? So definitely with the mentor game, everybody listening should definitely get a mentor because um, you, you know, you know, you don't know what you don't know until somebody, so somebody, you know, more expertise than you comes in and it's like, yo, maybe you should do it like this. And then all of a sudden your whole world's changed, you know? So that's, that's super dope.
2: Totally. Um, and, and one thing I've learned through them is, <clears throat> you know, even if the technology is different, uh, the scenarios are the same. And, and mentors right. have been through it and they do have good advice. And I, I see a lot of young people not realizing, and you know, we're all still young, but not realizing how important mentors are and how key they are in figuring out situations. A lot of people just take it on themselves. Like, I I know how to do this. I've watched this person, this person, that person do it. And then when they actually get in the situation, they don't know what they're doing. They screw it up and they're like, damn, I wish I would have had someone ask. So for me, you know, it's been a huge blessing.
1: Especially in music, because there's so many unique situations. Like if you don't, if you don't have somebody to go back to and bounce things off of, you're like flying blind. It's like, it's like, there's this one situation where, I don't know, an artist was smoking weed and the promoter wanted to cancel the show. Like, what do I do? You know what I mean? Those situations aren't in like regular business, you know?
2: Yeah, totally. So,
1: um, Yeah, I'm totally with that. What are are some of the the early things that you learned? um, I guess just working with Wiz and as you grew as an, as a, you know,
2: executive in your own right, some of the early things you learned when you started working with him. Uh, Some of the key things is, Always treat people with respect. You never know where they're going to end up. People always, you know, they always come back around and, you know, you always want to be someone that's invited back. You never want to leave someone with a sour taste in their mouth, whether it's an interviewer or a promoter or whatever. You know, if you plan on having a long career, it's better to to have good relationships and have people behind you that want to see you win because you're a genuinely good person. Right, totally is right. some of them, and, and it's always a, a marathon and not a sprint. You mm-hmm. know,
1: right? I've seen that happen multiple times in my career. Just being, um, you know, I've had people that were my interns leave and then like run a department. You know, yeah. at a different company, it like happens so often. Or like producers that used to hit me to like send me beats that are now like you know producers in their own right. <laughs> it's it's kind of yeah. crazy and it can happen so quick. You know,
0: totally, so. totally, totally. Yeah. When it comes to, um, I mean, I feel like you've been, uh, I mean, we're definitely going to bounce around a lot to a lot of your own personal ventures, but with Wiz, when you joined, it was funny because I used to be a, a super, like when I was in high school, I remember downloading his mixed flight school off of DatPiff and like burning it onto a CD and bumping it in the whip. Um sure. Obviously, the music industry has changed a lot fundamentally as far as from a music distribution standpoint to streaming and how artists get to Stubborn with social media. A lot of the middlemen that used to have a lot of power when it came to building a fan base and audience have, have been disintermediated. What do you feel like were some of the, the principles that enabled Wiz's growth in those years that are still
2: applicable today? Uh, Twitter opened the world up for us. You know, the, totally, that was something. Completely when, when Wiz got on Twitter, that's things opened up majorly. That, along with YouTube, uh, are great tools still. And I think one thing people massively overlook is how to touch their fans and how to use the different you know the different technology that we have now to figure out where their fans are. Uh, touching the fans and being present, grew our career exponentially and definitely ensured that we have fans for life. Mm-hmm.
1: I think yeah that, uh, that day to day vlog series you guys had was one of the first series I had seen like that, like period. Um And now it's more like if you're not doing something like that, it's like weird. <laughs> like where's your, where's your regular content? Where's your shoulder content? You know,
2: totally. And one thing I think artists take for granted now is we did plenty of shows for five, for 10 people and now it's it's majorly different but being able to touch those small demographics and not being able to unhumble yourself or or be too big to do something mm-hmm. that was a big thing back in the day cuz didn't see a lot of rappers doing the type of shows that pop punk bands were doing at the time and and Wiz was down for that and I think that's something that helped us grow as well when in the time when rappers were really only doing arenas or big clubs, to do something like like that was different. And now you see everyone in their brother tours at this point. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah for sure. So, yeah. I mean, given a lot of the success you've had there, I mean, now you kind of have the management, label arms. Like, what's kind of the framework you apply when you're trying to work on developing emerging acts and, and help them get to a point of a
2: truly sustainable and kind of profitable, successful career as an artist? For me and, and Wiz, as we run our company, we just emphasize uh, quality, consistency, and uh, just built. Like I said, building a, a real base. Being an artist that's mm-hmm. not facing an immediate thing. Mm-hmm. We look for artists that have longevity. You, you know, if you look at how we did with Juicy, even even now, you know, had a whole resurgence for him, and. With bands will make her dance, and he's still moving things forward now. Just doing stuff like Hawker girl Summer and and all of those types of things. And then with Ty, he's so versatile, but he he can tour, he can write a number one hit song in the same exact day. Mm, right, he's figured it out, and he touches his fans, and he's personal. And those are the types of things that we we types deliver, and that's what we're building with our up and coming acts. And then more, you know, uh, some of our smaller, more established people like Chevy Woods and TM88. Mm-hmm.
1: Yo, it was funny. I was at a Coachella event um, a couple of years ago, and Ty was singing at it, and he was he was smoking a blunt and singing and smoking a blunt like at the same time. And I was like, "Yo, his breath control is crazy. Like, no, <laughs> no one, no one's paying attention to this. Oh, yeah, he's he's smoking a blunt and singing, but like he's smoking a blunt and singing well.
2: Like, you know how hard that is? It's crazy." <laughs> so, He's one of the best and he's a thousand percent perfected everything that he does. Right, right.
1: It sounds it sounds like it. I also read an interview between um him and somebody where he talked about just recording with Kanye for the first time and what that was like and how Kanye apparently didn't have a, a side of his house on the studio and it was just kind of like open and Todd thought that was crazy. But um but yeah, yeah, me and my girl have been been fans of Todd for a long time. We saw him in Irving Plaza a couple years ago, actually, or five, five or six years ago. So um yeah, he's dope. But um I want to get a little bit into uh to branding because you guys I think have a really, a really strong brand with Taylor Gang and, and you have for years. Um so how how did that how did that sort of come together?
2: Well, Wiz definitely came up with the idea and and was screaming it from from the beginning. And it it's kind of a combination. He went to Taylor Alderdice High School, but it's mostly more about tailoring uh how you live your life to yourself and being an individual and a Chuck Taylor can be worn by the the most famous people in the world, but it's also a, a cheap shoe that anyone can get and mm-hmm. how we're all kind of the same and just being an individual. So the, the branding definitely was Wiz's idea and we grew it by just keeping on par and not just grabbing every check that came at us because I think fans can easily see through that. And that's that's when they get annoyed or question like the authenticity of it. So for... For me and for us, it was just doing things and, and keeping it on brand and keeping it true to who we were and what we do and not just being someone that can go and, and grab a check from, you know, something that we have no involvement, like pink underwear or something. You know, not that, but you know, <laughs> right, right. just yeah, anything totally random.
1: Right, right. Um, so for artists kind of like just starting out, how do you think they should think about, think about their personal brands?
2: I think it's definitely a different climate now, but as Mm -hmm. I mentioned earlier, I think at the core comes with just figuring out who you are, what you believe in, and then going and spending time with people who believe in those same type of things. I think that's how artists build their brand is by knowing what their message is and, and the fans that relate to it. So, even if it's, okay, I'm not even going to perform. I'm just going to go to this frat party where I know four kids, hang out with them all night that I met on the internet. And I know that sounds a little wild, but that is what we were doing back in the day. And, mm-hmm. and Connecting with kids, and it makes them feel so special that you put the time in, and then they're going to go and tell all their friends. And at the end of the day, sure, you can have your TikToks or your thrillers, but that's just a moment in time. If you want to have a real brand that's sustainable, that people go along with, you got to put in time with each and every... In, each and every person almost to, to try and make them a believer for life and have that personal connection. Mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing, I mean, just to build on this of like building brands is something that I think has enabled a level of success for your artists and a lot of the stuff Taylor gang has done. Um, do you think it should be like artists these days should bake this into the like DNA of the, the businesses they're building around themselves Um, Or do you think they should kind of like wait until a little bit later in their career, really focus on building a brand and audience around their music first and then start to come up with clever ways to uh, engage and I guess monetize, but it's not just
2: monetizing. sense. I think it's twofold. I think it's good to be thinking about it, but you have to perfect one thing first and then move on to the next because if you're doing too many things at once... It'll never work. The other things won't align. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's really perfect your sound and have really great music coming out, and then you'll figure out your brand, what your brand is and what your messaging is through your music. From mm-hmm. that's at least how I look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to be when when new artists are making music, they experiment with a lot of sounds and and vibes and instruments and whatever. Got to hone in on who you are, and I think through that process, you'll, you'll figure out what your brands are.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, uh, I mean, Khalifa Kush has been an incredible like brand. I mean, can you talk a little bit about how the idea first came to be and then, I mean, how that's really boomed into its own business?
2: Yeah. As we, we formed our business in 2015 just watching where it was headed like I said, you know, we, we perfected the touring and uh, touring and music and then moved into the next brand mm. completely. Mm. And it, it, it really went when we put a, a strong team of people together that can bring the vision to life while also following the, this moment in history because cannabis has never been legal. And, and to us, it's a moment in time and, if you look back at everything people are made examples out of while they're figuring it out and we definitely don't want to be someone to be made an example out of so spending the time getting lawyers and reviewing the rules and staying par for the course of the ever changing laws mm-hmm. has been really important but seeing it go how it went in Canada you know we're publicly traded up there and it's really cool to see people accepting it as a as a true business but it came together with, you know, Wiz had reached a certain level. We were we we're talking about weed a lot. And again, watching watching where the market was going and thinking, you know, 10 years from now, it could be federally legal. And mm-hmm. let's get on board early. to. I know this isn't the the
0: marijuana business podcast, but I am very curious to dive deeper <laughs> into the outlook on that industry, given your, your kind of depth of experience in the field. Um, what uh, I mean, what do you feel like is the, the the same excitement and enthusiasm you had about the kind of federal legalization um, and just the, the general outlook of uh, kind of growth for this sector? Is it still the same? I mean, what, what do you see happening in the next couple of years and beyond when it comes to how businesses can thrive in that market?
2: I think to summarize all that is right now is a perfect time of how cannabis is grown. It was deemed an essential business. Hmm. When has that ever happen? <laughs> when has the government been like, Oh yeah, we need that. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, uh, it, it's very cool and I'm very excited about it. But I think a lot, as you guys know, even with being in music and how exciting music is, it, it ends up still being a business like any other. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter what you're selling. The core issues come with dealing with people still, dealing with regulations. Everyone's still figuring out this new model and business. So it's definitely very exciting, but it's definitely still a business all the same. And the people that just treat it like fun are either already out or going to be made an example out of. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense.
1: Right. Um, to switch it a little bit more back to music, Sam, are you, are you good on that? The mar- the, the the break yeah. of the marijuana well, we'll, we'll, business? We'll talk offline. Right? We'll talk offline. <laughs>
2: we'll talk offline now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> He's like, so who should, you know, where can I get some? Like,
2: <laughs> no. okay. You guys ever go to Vegas? Yeah, yeah. We have a nice dispensary there. We have one in Arizona. We have a couple more coming on board. Uh, and obviously we have a lot going on in Canada as well.
1: Nice. Dope, dope. Yeah, I went to Vegas for my my birthday. It's on December 31st. So, you know, it would have been it would have been a little crazier if I had some KK. So next time, next time I'm there, I'll let you know.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um,
1: yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about the intersection between just artists and record labels and how to kind of make that work. Um, at least from the outside end, from, from my perspective, it looks like, you know, when you guys dealt with Rostrum and then when you, when you guys dealt with Atlantic, you guys had a great partnerships for where you, where Wiz was in his career. Um, so what are the things that you think define, uh, just a good partnership between an artist and their label, especially the way that you guys have done it?
2: I think it, it's like I was saying, just about making people feel good. People work harder mm-hmm. if they feel good. People work harder if they're truly invested if you spend the time. And we, we do that plenty with Atlantic is go up there and spend the whole day, just bring different people through. They get to spend their time with Wiz and catch up. Cause there's so many different sectors of the business. Everyone needs their time. And he he's always pulled in so many different directions. We don't, we do days where it's not even promo. He goes and they're very accommodating about, Type of spaces he needs, (laughs) and they just he gets to chill, smoke, hang all day, and people come through and just talk about whatever's going on in their world, in him, and how how they align. Especially for me, I'm a manager that that I think communication needs to be open, and and like I said, uh, the everyone works harder if if they feel a direct line. So when Wiz talks to them, he spends an hour, two hours with different team members of his. It gives them an understanding of his vision. So when they're sending stuff over, while they, maybe they, they don't send it to him directly, they send it to me, they know where he's going because they got to spend that time with him. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think right. a lot of people don't foster the label relationships or fully know the services. Like, there's plenty of super big artists, and I can't say names, but managers that are also on Atlantic. And I'll be like, yes, yeah, so you know Alex in licensing. They're like, what the fuck is that? You're like, what the fuck <laughs> is that? Just yeah. walk to the different floors of the label that we're on is paying you millions of dollars and you are like yeah. oh God, this is crazy yeah, and then yeah. I definitely had someone come back to me two years later and be like yo we made a million dollars with Alex like no fucking shit yeah. <laughs> 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 why do you think I asked you about it like <laughs>
0: yeah. shout out shout out Alex by the way uh, one of the guests in our past episodes but to dive further into that um, what are the specific things you feel artists and managers should be Uh, when it comes to the relationship with labels, the things they should make sure they're paying attention to when it comes to getting support. I mean, just getting very tactical on this point.
2: Yeah. I think it's just knowing all the different departments. There's, there's merch, merch is separate to licensing, licensing, and then there's licensing music, licensing, merch, licensing, the name, finding brand partnerships. There's, there's all sectors of that and that doesn't even have to do with music. You know, then there's, Licensing the songs, licensing the video games, making the songs, finding beats, marketing the music—those are all different departments, and I think that's what managers don't focus on enough. And then on top of that, like we we spoke on earlier, the tech is the biggest part. So figuring out all these new tech companies, figuring out how people are consuming music, figuring out the little tricks and and what's working, and where you actually see a return on your investment. Some people are like, "Yeah, let's just throw money at playlisting," and you you think. Well what are you getting out of that? Right. They just say, "Oh, well we spent 10 grand on it." You're like, "But what did you get? Like, where did you go?" And and really knowing the answers to those questions, knowing what's effective and what what's just hype and again, no, knowing all the aspects of the building and all the different people actually working on your project. Mhm. Right. Makes a lot of sense. Right. there's there's definitely so many managers that even how I mentioned before, never met the international marketing person. They're like, "Oh, well, good." Like, yeah.
0: What? So, right. when you guys kind of co, can you talk about how you kind of got into the like the label business yourself, and when you decided to really start providing those sort of services?
2: It has been a a learning game, and I'm still learning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there were a few people that we knew from home. Chevy Woods being our first artist. That we've always just tried to build, and we—he has a great tapped-in fan base that we know them very well. We know how where he can do great shows, how to keep it moving, and he and he runs a great business. And it came time when Wiz was hitting his stride, where we said, "You got to support other people, and and let's make money on these other guys that are here and, and give them a structure as well, because." One not only are they our friends, but we believe in them and what they're doing, and mm-hmm. they've been here for us. And for Wiz and I, we've always been the youngest guys in our in our crew of friends, so it was nice to be able to to help people out that have held us down for so long. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Actually, um, I used to intern at Audible Treats, and when I was there, I I wrote some uh, some press releases for Chevy Woods when um. Said and Done came out with Deja Loaf, and I actually went to that um that album release party. I was like one of the first album release parties I went to um, when I was an intern. I guess almost six years ago at this
2: point. I was at Community Fifty Four, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's yeah. when he was cooking food.
1: I remember that. Yeah, because I used to be like, um, you know, that was the one. Since that was one of the first album release parties I went to, I was like calling my girl and stuff. I was like, I'm about to go to this release party. You Chevy Woods, shit, crazy. <laughs> I'm making. I'm doing it. I'm in the industry. I'm doing it. Uh, <laughs>
2: I remember those. I remember those days.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so, what are some things you've learned uh, specifically? You know, whether it comes to artist development or or growing a business that you've been able to bring to artists outside of Wiz. Uh,
2: we the biggest thing I, I'll say, and Atlantic provided it was the promo tour for for Black and Yellow and Rolling Papers One. I made so many contacts and it really honed in how important truly artist development was Mm because while I maybe didn't see it exactly at that time. Now that is what I try and tell artists and and what I'm preaching on, like touch your fans. Don't just worry about LA and New York. And if it's popping on TikTok and Triller, like what does the DJ in Alabama, who's going to actually spin your record and get your spins up? What does he think? Do you have a relationship with him and the DJs? that control radio. they they're, they're not just radio. They, they do events. They're local influencers in their own. It's important understanding that and respecting it and giving them the time, just like we give the label people the time mm-hmm. is they help you grow your fan base. And, and if they're behind you and, and if they're part of your fan base, it, it'll really go a long way. So artist development is definitely the answer there.
0: When it comes to building up relations like that for emerging artists, I mean, you recommend, I mean, you just kind of like build out, I think there's kind of like the actual, like the fans, but then there's figuring out who those influencers are. You recommend just kind of like building out lists and just finding ways to add value and start conversations with those people out of the blue?
2: Uh, I think that's one way to do it. I think picking as opposed to being like, I want to be in touch with DJs picking 10 and being like, okay, these are the ten I'm going to go after and knock that out, and then do ten more. That's mm-hmm. a way to grow. Uh, it's definitely good to make lists in, in whoever you think is influential. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely a believer that not just one thing can change you overnight. Mm-hmm. As, as as much as people want to say this person was a one hit wonder, this happened overnight. It didn't. There's some tricks behind stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what I was getting at with the. Knowing the technology behind what's going on now mm-hmm. and how to turn stuff up, because to the general public it does look like an overnight success, but it's not. And honing in on on different section, sections and attacking that because there isn't going to be just one thing that kicks mm-hmm. it over. Totally
1: right, right. Um, I want to get also in a little bit more about your relationship um, as a manager, as a label head, with your with your clients. Um, so we had, you know, we had Henny on from EQT, and he was sort of saying there's two different managers, um, and there's kind of a mix in between. One that's a little bit more creative and is like in the studio with the artists, and you know, helping name tracks and helping with kicks and snares. And there's one that does most of the business side, and then kind of leaves kind of leaves all of that to the artists, so they know the game really well but they leave all the creativity to the artist. Where do you think you kind of lie on that spectrum?
2: Uh, I think those are two different types of artists or types of managers. But for me personally, and given my situation that I'm in, with mm-hmm. Wiz being one of my best friends since really before a lot of the music stuff and before anything big happened to now, I'm, I'm cut right in the middle. I mm-hmm. have to play both those roles. I go to the office all day from nine in the morning till eight at night. And then I meet the guys at the studio at 10 and stay there till three in the morning. And then that's how I really keep my personal fingers just in knowing where he's thinking to be and and the other artists to be able to bring ideas and help whatever vision they have while I'm in the office and doing the business stuff, think about where they were at the night before when they're in their zone. So I'm cut right down the middle, but Henny's my dog. I super appreciate him. Before he was even managing people, we were booking shows together at Penn State. So that's That's great work. That's dope. That's dope. When it
0: comes to like finding artists, I mean, obviously you guys roster. I mean, you have some emerging artists, but obviously working with some like super established artists, Ty Dolla Sign, Juicy J. How do you go about finding artists across the board and and building the relationships before they actually become your clients?
2: Well, at this point in my life I do based on just who I'm, I personally like and who I think has a trajectory and who has their head on straight. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not chasing every song. I'm chasing people I think will have a long-term career. I don't want artists that are super problematic all the time. And if they don't have a hit, they can't do anything because that's one thing whether Ty, Wiz, or Juicy, or or any of them are up and down, they can tour whenever they want because they have that bass and they have those songs. And people put so much pressure and overthink releasing one song. If you think an artist is only going to have one hit song, why are you working with them? Mm -hmm. I believe all those guys are going to continue to have hits, and that's why I saw the vision in them from day one. And a a person like Chevy, who may have not had a number one Billboard hit, he has a vision for his career. He knows how to get money. He knows where his fan base is. He knows how to stay on top of it at all times, and that's the type of artist I like working with.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? You obviously, you know, it seems like you've worked with a lot of your artists for a long time. What do you think is the? What do you think are a few keys in achieving um, just longevity in you guys' relationship for as long as you have for the clients that you work with?
2: I think it's spending time. Truly spending time and going through the good and the bad, like as, as many good things as I can tell, tell you about all the guys, there's 25 million times more bad situations that we've been through in Concord, but we did it together and we're, we're still pushing forward. People that get bent out of shape on one thing and can't talk to their friends or talk through an issue. Eventually it may take some time with people if they can't eventually talk through it. You know, I think we all know, like. It, each each to their own. But if you can't work through an issue with someone that you're supposed to be close with and, and make money with, then there's going to be bigger problems down the line.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I always thought it was interesting. Um, Cause you know, we all hear like there's a business relationship and there's a personal relationship, but at least in my experience, when you're a manager, it kind of all gets jumbled together a lot of the times. <laughs> so it's like, oh, sometimes you want to be like, Oh no, man, this is not personal. This is for business. And then at other times you'll be like, "Yo, but I thought we were friends, bro. Like I thought yeah. we were friends." And it just depends on the situation, you know.
2: And in this, like, m- me business is personal. Period. Like, right to me, I when people say that, you're like, "Yeah, maybe," but nah, I don't feel you on that because, like, <laughs> that that's that's not it. It is personal. It does make you feel a certain type of way. This isn't like just numbers. Music is a subjective thing. There is no right or wrong. So. Yeah. It definitely makes it more personal, whereas two plus two is factually four. <laughs> yeah. You get bent out of shape, but it, nothing in music is actually factual in the creative sense. Right. So I think it makes the business more personal.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Right. That makes sense. One thing that I find interesting too is that I think. I'm sure along your path, like there's been lots of ups, but lots of downs as well. And I know, like Winston Churchill has, like the quote, like success is going from failure to failure without loss and enthusiasm. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about some of the big learning moments you've had, or some of the big, I guess, like quote unquote, like failures, but just things that may not have necessarily gone according to plan that were a blessing in disguise? That was um, that was a pretty deep cut there, Sam. <laughs> <laughs> quote, quote
1: Winston Churchill. I just want to point yeah. that out real quick. I don't think we have done got it, that. Gotta, gotta come correct. <laughs> it's like, dang, okay. Yeah, you're right. Damn.
2: Anyway. <laughs> One big failure. Not, And I would never call it a failure because yeah. I, this moment made Wiz even way more poppin'. But I, like I was saying, you always want to be invited back on touring. You want promoters to like you. And I think everyone will remember when we got arrested at East Carolina University, like it was on fucking CNN. Like that was, that was terrible. That that moment sucked. Um, it was just like, Oh, we're, you know, we, we smoke weed, but we're the good guys. Like we're not supposed to be getting in trouble and to be on the news, like 10 people in jail. It was like, Whoa, Whoa. And it, I can't say it was a moment where I feel like we failed because it definitely wasn't our fault. Some racist, super racist ass shit.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I was,
1: about to, I was about to say,
2: yeah. It was. I, mean, <laughs> I got dragged off the stage by this cop. It was crazy, Um, but it was just a moment where you're like, "Man, fuck!" I got that email from my dad. It was like, "Your grandmother knows." Dad didn't say love. That, <laughs> that, was, that was the
0: whole thing. Yeah, that's <laughs> that <was> hard.
2: Like, <laughs> that was, <laughs> oh man! But I, I think that was one moment. There's obviously ups and downs in music. Beats get sold before other ones, but nothing that—that that was a big moment. But like I said, I I feel like that made Wiz even more popular.
1: Mm-hmm. For sure, right? And in some situations like that, and this, you know, we could talk about race and hip hop and how the media um, talks about the whole genre in the first place. But if it seems like, in, in my experience, sometimes with the CNNs and shows like that are almost looking and 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 waiting for for the opportunity to say a hip hop artist was arrested at a anything, (laughs) you know, so I'm sure they
2: pounced on that. You know, my biggest example of that is every year Wiz does a a big give back to Pittsburgh public schools. That's something he super believes in that helped, that helped his life. And I remember one year he donated, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars worth of backpacks. We got no press coverage, We went out that night, and you know we were young. We're twenty-four years old. We all drinking, peeing in an alley. Boom! Right on the front (laughs) of the paper. (laughs) Fucking twenty-five-dollar urinating in public ticket. Front of the paper. Hundred-thousand-dollar charity drive, which you know we weren't even trying to promote, but no one wants to cover it. You know he went. He talks to the schools. Talks to the kids. Is like, look, I sat in the same seats you did. Like. You can make whatever happen. Preaches about individuality. No press coverage. Mm-hmm. Peeing after drinking all night. All the press coverage.
1: Somebody took a picture of of some of of y'all peeing. No, it's just like okay, I was about.
2: Uh, we just got a ticket, but you know they had Google search on his name, so if it comes up, like, oh,
1: literally, oh, it
2: was like that. They were like, yeah, they were like, like oh. we looked through the police records from Friday night, and guess what? Ha ha ha! Got you, <laughs> <laughs> Like okay, dude, you're the man. Right. Right. But that's um, what, that bullshit with the media. You just gotta gotta know that that it's just part of the game, mm-hmm. right? Who are um you know
1: going kind of going back to the mentor aspect of things? Who were some of those people um in the beginning of your career that that really helped you uh, figure things out?
2: Uh, E Dan at ID Labs I think helped a whole lot. You know, he he gave me a place to work uh, before anyone else did. And I was just like, I just can't work at my house. I need to get out of here. And he was like, here, there's a desk in the front of the studio. Just sit here.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: he definitely looked out the most in the very, very beginning and, and didn't turn his nose up at me when other people, when Wiz and I were first getting close, was like, well, who the fuck is this? So, um, you know, there was plenty of people along the way you know, from Pittsburgh, then to Atlantic. But I, I would say Eric Dan, ID Labs is the one that that really, no questions asked, was like, yeah, if you're if you're about it, let's go. Here you go.
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I know we, you know, kind of this whole episode has kind of been the culmination of this question, but for a young manager championing their artists and also the artist that kind of wants to reach the level of where Wiz has got, where Ty Dolla has got, um, you know, what's what's sort of the, the
2: overarching advice that you have for them? Just keep perfecting your craft, keep building and, and always try and find new ways to, to tell people about your music. Do not rely on the Internet, because like I, I've been saying through this whole thing, it's about that in, in-person experience where people can go and be like, Yo, that's my dog. Not like I saw this video on TikTok and he was cool. You know, if if you do something with a small group of friends, three or four people, they're gonna hold that close to their heart for five years and be excited to watch you grow. Right. I think that along with always always record, just keep getting better at recording. Mm-hmm. I, I watch Ways record to this day and grow and learn and and try different things and, and be open and live in that moment. Don't worry about what anyone else is saying. Like if you enjoy that that song at that moment, just live in it and enjoy it and figure it out later. Right, um, and this is a question I'm trying
1: to ask more people that get on the uh, the podcast. But what was that moment? What was that uh, moment where you were kind of like, "Yo, we're doing it! Like, we got something here." You know, some people say it was when I could pay my first rent with the with the money that I got from the music industry. I asked Danny Brown that. He said when I played Coachella for the first time, it was kind of like, "Yo, I, this is this is something that's you know more significant than I think you know we realize now at this point." Or you know, what was that? What was that moment for you guys?
2: Uh, I can't answer for whiz, but I know for me, it was mm-hmm. when our first, like I was a booking agent and I was just booking shows at frats with my friends. When our first real booking agent laid out like, Hey, you guys are going on this three month tour. I was like, holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, like, all our tours had been like two week runs over different periods of time, string right. them all together and call it a tour. But this was like, yo, you're going to perform six days a week all over the country. Like, mm-hmm. good luck. I was like, holy shit, this is going to be wild. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. right. So when it comes to like the, the personal development side of, of your life, like what are you personally striving to improve and refine when it comes to really perfecting and dialing in on your craft?
2: Um, I'm definitely working on just being in shape and working out. I know that sounds crazy, but it helps mm-hmm. because as the business grows, there's more partners, there's more people to deal with. And that just helps so much mentally to just calm down and be able to be relaxed and not have built up tension all day it's the first thing i do and it's something for the last two years i've i ran cross country in high school and i got away from it for a little bit mm-hmm. i've always ran but now i'm like trying to run and really like take working out serious to be able to be in a better place to, to learn and grow and be calm and not we all know how much. Well, I'll just say it. Fuck shit comes with being in the music industry. Mm-hmm. Right. To deal with all that and not lose your mind and be like, I'm going to kill everybody.
0: Yeah, 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 you know? yeah, for sure. It's intense. Where's you down? Yeah. For, for, <laughs> uh, even Just like for me to have been... It's interesting because the industry too works on such weird hours relative to other industries too. So me just trying to carve out the time to make sure I can maintain some sort of like sleep regimen. That's one thing that's actually been nice about the quarantine is that like less late nights on the weekends makes it easier to maintain a bit like an early riser sleep schedule. Totally. Uh, That's fun. What, um, who are you most excited about musically right now? Either that you're working on or just a fan of.
2: Um, I'm going to hype up two people. We, we just signed a new artist named fed the God. I'm really excited about his project and, uh, we're going to be dropping an artist project for TM88, even though he's a producer at yep. Capital and and he's one of my favorite producers as well. And I'm really excited for that because the army of songs he has is insane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you feel
0: like, I feel like we're at an interesting point in, in, in music. I mean, I, I, I'd skew a little bit towards like the hip hop world, but where producers are starting to get a lot more shine on their own. And we're starting to see different artists and producers release their own albums you look at I mean I guess on one scale DJ Khaled but it's happening more and more I mean do you feel it will continue to happen more and more and producers will have their own
2: kind of spot in the limelight I think with all the indie distribution that goes on there'll be more projects I think there's yet to be a super super big extremely successful producer project put out and that's what I think TM could have I think Mm -hmm. he is just such a superstar on his own that when he Mm -hmm. walked into a room you feel like it whereas some other one uh, some other producer projects just don't have that vibe while the music is amazing Mm -hmm. they don't have the vibe to uh, uh, go with it and he's a tall guy and and his look is awesome and and i think they complement each other very well and and the music he's making is just absolutely out of this world
0: yeah that's exciting yeah i I think check it it out and uh I think
1: something that's also been interesting is that with just the advent of the invent of uh, social media producers are a lot like they can connect to their, to their fans directly. Now before, you know, producers, at least in my opinion, they were people behind the boards that you kind of only saw on the credits, you know? Um, But now they can, you know, when they, when you hear a, Metro Boomin wants some more. You can actually look up him on Instagram and follow him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cool. As as opposed to them just being behind the board. So that that gives rise to artists like you know TM, who I'm sure is going to put out a dope project.
2: Totally. And and I think producers are understanding the business more and having their own teams that stand up for them more. Whereas well, before it was kind of like just take what you're given and shut up. Whereas right. now they're flipping the switch and it's like, nah, like you want this hot ass crack I got, like. Come with it. And and right. I know how many points I need and I know what publishing is and give me all mine and really understanding the business and how they make their money too mm-hmm. it's been right. for them over, over the past 10, 15 years.
0: Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. How did, how did see you again with Charlie Puth get 4.4 4 billion views on YouTube?
2: <laughs> Man, that is a missile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That song is crazy, and it's funny too. Wiz had the purple hair at the time, so it's always a good memory of that time too.
0: What are specific things that like took? I mean that that's like that's in a league of its own when it comes to <laughs> records on YouTube, like shit, or in yeah. general. Just yeah. like. <laughs> I mean,
2: the Fast Family we've been we've been cool with them for a while. You know, before before we see you again, Wiz had done two or three other Fast and the Furious songs. And it's funny, you know, the way he works on soundtracks was was just different. And the first time he recorded it, it was literally at Snoop's house. Just like, hey, I got to lay this verse real quick. Can I use the booth? And and to see what it blew up into is super awesome. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know how to... Just watching that go and watching it become such a big record and Mm -hmm. so culturally relevant was... Awesome and and definitely that's when I you know that was 2015 right when I started you know managing you know kind of taking the the lead on my own head con mm-hmm. and my perfect really great timing yeah so that, was, that's the was. reason it has
0: 4.4 billion <laughs> <views>. yeah <laughs> it
2: right, right. but you know it, it, it was just a good good timing and it was awesome
0: yeah yeah sure. awesome. one thing I mean it, it's interesting to think about like rollouts and marketing around records because oftentimes people really just focus so much on the actual launch and neglect the ongoing promotion needed. I mean, there's certain instances where songs will like not really start popping off until months, if not years after they were initially released. So I think um, like, do you guys have any, Thoughts are kind of approach like standard operating procedures or approaches to really try and like sustain the amplification of songs beyond just like having a great launch day.
2: uh, uh like I said earlier, it, it, for us, it's all about a marathon and not a sprint. Mm-hmm. Try and make music that's timeless, and people can have a moment with whenever. I mean, look at fucking something new. That song came out in 2017, and it's mm-hmm. what one or two on TikTok right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's. It, it's always about the longevity of a record and work hard, play hard still gets giant ginger ale sinks, mm-hmm. you know, or or Canada dry. Yeah. It's just, yeah, not, not throwing everything out that you have in the first week and then forgetting about it and moving on to something else. Cause if you treat it like that, everyone else will. Yeah. It's about two months down the road, still getting a tweet from Wiz's Instagram, like, boom, this mm-hmm. single out still, still a single. And, incorporating it in different things and then touching your fans by doing shows and pounding it in their, in their ears. So they remember it too. Right. Right. Well, well, yeah, man,
0: man, I think it's, uh, it's been super exciting to see your journey from the sidelines. Super excited to have you on the show, man. And, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy times right now, but look forward to the day when we can do this in person as
2: well. Totally. Absolutely, Thank man. you guys for having me. We definitely need to do it in person. Absolutely.
0: Awesome, Hit brother. us when you're in New York, dude. And if uh, if you need any feedback on that that TM eighty eight
2: project, <laughs> I got on you. that KK. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: We're New strains of that KK.
2: We'll do some research yeah. on KK. <laughs> when I yeah. it. There
0: it is. There it is. Well, thank you very man. much, brother. It's been a pleasure. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, man. Thank you. Man, well, that was a great episode.
1: What'd you think, Jordan? Absolutely, dude. I thought it was dope, man. I thought it was super dope.
0: Yeah, I think. uh I mean, so much truth to the notion of this is definitely a marathon, not a sprint. I think the how we really constantly leaned into perfecting your craft, but then also focusing a lot on making sure you're coming up with creative ways to engage and get your music out to potential fans was, was critical. Not being too precious to, to do smaller shows with smaller audiences or coming up with ways, clever, innovative ways to go about connecting with your fan base. I think that stuff is the essential foundation for any success you could possibly have in an artist's career. So uh, that really stuck out to me. Really excited to see what Will continues to do as well across his portfolio of artists and different brands. Absolutely. I think one thing that, um, you know, I took away
1: from this episode was building that foundation and taking care of your fans more than just, uh, you know, the the latest trend. Whether that be, you know, TikTok, I think you said, or Triller, obviously those things are very important. But seeing people face to face and staying true to your brand no matter what. Um, I think was was a super big takeaway that people can get from this um, and also you know he's obviously diversified and done a lot of different things and sell his whiz but no matter what they made sure the music was on point before they did anything else you know um, I think that a lot of people in the industry now you know because we see these artists we see these artists with record labels we see these artists start their own brands um, and like will said sometimes it looks like it's happening overnight but you know, he really emphasized they put in the work um, and they and they grinded and had a lot of and had a lot of failures and learning moments in order to get to the places where we see Wiz now with his own Khalifa Kush, um, his own video game. Um, you know, those things took time. But, you know, from from day one, it was it was about the music. And then when when they got that down, they, they decided to diversify and do other things. So um, a lot to learn from.
0: Yeah, well, as always, really appreciate you guys tuning in. know we're in an unprecedented times right now, but I think it's, it's conversations like these. It's you guys connecting with your fans digitally, learning how to refine and perfect your craft. I think it's all these tactics that deserve to be top of mind right now. So we're all in this together. Don't hesitate to reach out to us at Music Business Podcast on Instagram. And until next week, we out. See you guys.